You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today, we are in week number two of a series that we're calling Truly Free. And uh, just before I say anything, I am fully convinced, heart and soul, 100% bought into the fact that God wants you to be free. I don't know if you believe that, I don't know if you know that, but God wants you to be free. God wants you to live a life of freedom. And here's why, because in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22, God says, I have paid the price to set you free. Here's what that means. How many of you have ever heard the the phrase that freedom is never free? A lot of times we hear that within our country and we hear about that. We honor, you know, all our amazing servicemen and women that, that, that do an amazing job providing the freedom that we get to experience. But hear this today, your spiritual freedom is never free. Our freedom came with a price tag and the cost of our freedom was Jesus. So you need to understand today that not only did God pay the price of his one and only son so that you could go to heaven one day, he also paid the price of his one and only son so that you could be free right now. And not just free, but truly free. Like our theme verse in John eight thirty six says that if the son, if Jesus, if he sets you free, you are truly free. And what I'm trying to do in this series is stir some faith up on the inside of you and, and just really encourage you to not settle for anything less than this. Like don't settle for a life that isn't free. Don't settle for anything less than a truly free life. Don't settle for anything less than the life that God paid for you to have. Now today we are going to talk about something that I don't think many of you woke up today like probably desiring to talk about what we're going to talk about. And so today if you're taking notes which I hope you are, I'm going to give you a ton of scripture today, but I want to talk today over this subject, I want to talk about generational patterns. No, no applause here, no applause. I know you woke up today sitting there thinking, you know what I want to talk about at church today? Generational patterns. Um, by the way, if you are sitting next to your mom or dad, just kind of tap them and be like, oh, I love you. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, but this is a really important thing to talk about. Um, and, and, and here's why. Because there's a principle that is just that we have to understand today. And it's true. And you know it's true because you've experienced it. Our present is shaped by our past always. It's something that we experience. That our present like, like who you are now is shaped by where you come from and what you've experienced in the past. And here's what I want to get in your heart today, that if we don't learn from the past, we are bound to repeat it. So it's really important for you to get that and to understand that, that if we don't learn from the past, we are bound to repeat it. And I want you to know that today I have one goal, uh, just one. I want to help you see that right now you may be fighting some battles that you didn't start. That you didn't start them, you inherited them. And if you're not aware of them, you may repeat them. Why? Because if we don't learn from the past, 
we are bound to repeat it. Now, I do believe that it is a proven biblical and sociological fact that the single greatest influence on a person's life is their what is known as their family of origin. I believe that it is, the, it is a fact that it's the single greatest influence in a person's life. And now when I say family of origin, I'm not talking about just your immediate family. I'm not just talking about your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister. When I say family of origin, I'm talking about your entire extended family going back three to four generations. Now let me show you one of my favorite pictures on planet Earth. This is a picture that we took about 11 years ago, and this is actually a picture of four generations of Cromer men. This was right after my first son, Jordan, was born, and so he's the baby in the picture. Um, And then (laughs) I'm on the far left. Uh, My papa, Holloway Cromer, is right in the middle, and then my dad is there on the right. I don't know if you can tell any family resemblance, but I I love that picture. I was so thankful before my papa passed away, that we were able to take a picture with four different generations of Cromer men. But here's what I want you to see. Like when I'm talking about family of origin, this is actually my son's family of origin. So it's not just your immediate family. It's also generations there. And so like it or not, our family of origin has a massive influence in our lives and we cannot ignore that. In fact, Pete, Scazzaro, who is a a pastor, but he's also an author, and he wrote an amazing book that I highly recommend at some point in your spiritual journey for you to read. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He, He actually wrote this. He said, in emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and others. They have realized from scripture and life that an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kind of person they are today and their past. Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family that we have grown up in is the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. Now, let me show you this in the Bible. I wanna take you on a journey at the start of this message through four different generations of the same family, starting in Genesis chapter 12. And here's what it says, starting in verse one, that the Lord had said to Abram, by the way, Abram, God would later change his name to Abraham, and you probably have heard of Abraham. And God said, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And here's why. So that you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is the original call of Abraham. This is where God says, Abraham, I am hand selecting you and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. And Abraham goes on to be called the father of many nations. And he's considered by many scholars as the father of faith. He's an absolute legend. No other person in the Old Testament is mentioned more in the New Testament than Abraham. Like if there was a Mount Rushmore of Bible guys, he would be on it. Absolute legend. But 
just like every single person with a pulse, including me and including you, he also had some issues. How many of you, just honest that you have some issues, raise it up high, don't T-Rex, just put it up way up high. Let everybody see. By the way, welcome to Queen City Church where you are in a room full of people with some issues. And Abraham had some issues. But look what happens later in this chapter. After he has this amazing moment with God, receives this calling from God. Literally, it says this in verse 10. And it says, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham, Abram, to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. He was approaching the border of Egypt and Abram said to his wife, Sarai, who later would become Sarah, look, you are a very hot woman. You're very beautiful. You are gorgeous. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him so that we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. So he says, hey, will you lie for me? Then he goes on to say, and sure enough, when Abraham arrived in Egypt, everyone spoke of Sarai's beauty. And when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. And Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her sheep. Goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and don't forget those camels. Verse 17, but the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his, and his household because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? And allow me to take her as my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. So Abraham, out of insecurity and fear, has his wife lie about who she is. But here's what I want you to see. Notice that even after God has his back, even after God saves them, even after God gets them out of the situation, and even after he gets caught, he never repents. He never says, I'm sorry. He never says, you're right, I made a mistake. And how do I know? Because look what happens eight chapters later in Genesis chapter 20, starting in verse one. It says, Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur, and, and then he moved on to Gerar. Remember that city? While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. He, guys, he does the same exact thing again, the same exact lies. So King Abimelech of Gerar, remember that name, sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night God came to Abimelech in a dream. Again, God had their back and told them, you are a dead man. For that woman you have taken is already married. So same exact thing happens. And then later the king approaches Abraham and says, why in the world would you do that? And here's his answer in verse 11. Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get to her. And she really is my sister, technically, for we both have the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. Well, that's another sermon later. 
Stick with me. Verse 13. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, everywhere we go, every time we go somewhere, tell the people that I am your brother. Notice again, he doesn't repent. He doesn't own his mistake. Instead, this time, he even goes a step further and justifies it. He says it's technically not a full lie. It's only a half lie because it's half true. So we clearly see that this wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a momentary lapse in his judgment. It wasn't just a whoopsie that he just did this one specific time. No, this is a pattern of lies and deceit. Get this, that he ends up passing down to his son. Because Abraham and Sarah have a son by the name of Isaac. And look what happens in Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. A severe famine struck the land as it happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. So in the same city with the same king, guess what happens? Verse 7. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister, he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, they're going to kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. Same exact lie. It's almost like we are prone to repeat the things that we experienced. Now later, Isaac and Rebecca end up having two sons, two twins. You probably know them as Jacob and Esau. So generation number three, and guess what's passed down to them? In fact, Joseph's very name, I'm sorry, Jacob's very name in Hebrew actually means, get this, deceiver. Another way to put it is con man. What a great family legacy. <laughs> hey, guess what we want to name our kid? Liar. <laughs> deceiver. Con man. And the truth is, if you read, he actually lives up to that name. Not only does he manipulate his brother to get his birthright, but he also, with the help of his mom, deceives his dad into giving him the blessing that belonged rightfully to his brother. We see this in Genesis chapter 27, verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says. The Bible says, so Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son. Isaac answered, who are you, straight up, in black and white, who are you, Esau or Jacob? And Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you have told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. He straight up lied to his dad's face, which ended up snowballing into absolutely destroying his family. But it gets even worse. Jacob ends up having 12 sons with four women. And in Genesis chapter 37, it starts to explain this family dynamics and said, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph, one of his sons, was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the other 10, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and, Z and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brother was doing. So in other words, he was a snitch 
on his brothers. Snitches get. Okay. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his others. So he was daddy's little favorite than other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Many of you, maybe you grew up hearing a coat of many colors. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And then the story, if you keep reading, it turns Jerry Springer real quick. His brothers decide to actually throw him into a pit and then sell him as a slave. But notice another thing that they did. In verse 31 of Genesis chapter 37, then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's blood, his coat of many colors, in its blood. They sent this beautiful robe to their father, with the message to the deceiver, to the guy that was named a liar. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? And their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph had clearly been torn to pieces. Then then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. Even more lies. And to say, are you starting to see the pattern? Four generations and four generations of lying and deceit. Passed down generation after generation. But here's what I want you to see. This is so important. You got to see that what is passed down, that it never gets better. And it never stays the same. It only keeps getting worse. Let me say it this way. That unrepented sin has a way of snowballing. Let me show you. Let's look at this family. Because it started with Abraham. And Abraham, he just told a half lie. But it was half true. We'll just start there. But then his son Isaac, no, it was a full-blown lie. And then his son Jacob, his full identity, his name was a liar. And all his lies ended up destroying their family. And then his sons, Jacob's sons, it was a whole generation of liars who did uh, like unthinkable, awful things and then faked their own brother's death to cover all those things up. How many of you grew up hearing the old Sunday school or VBS song, Father Abraham? I'm gonna show hands, okay? We're my old school church people, okay? Raise it up. Where, where are my Baptists at? Okay, you know, it's like, <laughs> I didn't grow up Baptist, but I grew up in a church that did that, so it's me too. Um, you know, but, you, you know, the song goes, Father Abraham had many, help me, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Right? Okay. Here's what it should say. It should say, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and they were all jacked up, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, okay? That's what it should say. Uh, But here, I'm just trying to make you laugh a little bit, because I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy. Um, But today, I, I really want you to walk away knowing two things. Just two things. If you're writing this down, number one, is that I want you to know that generational patterns are real. They are. 
Generational patterns are real. We see this all throughout Genesis. And like it or not, generational patterns are real. And they affect every single one of us. But hear this, it's both good and bad. It's not just bad, it's also good. There's some amazing things that that you experience and that are wired almost into your DNA because of amazing choices that came. But generational patterns are real. And here's the truth, and I think deep down in our souls, we all know this, is that we are prone to repeat what we know, all of us. We are prone to repeat what we know. We are prone to repeat the same behaviors, the same thinking, the same worldviews, the same unhealthy habits, the same dysfunction, the same addictions, the same relational dynamics. We are prone to repeat what was modeled for us and what we know. We even have phrases and sayings like this in our culture that communicate this truth. Think about it. Actually, help me. Like father, like like mother, like, and the apple doesn't fall too far from. Yeah, we even have sayings in our culture that communicate this truth. And here's the reality for some of you here today. You're trying desperately to move forward in a certain area of your life. Like you are inching and crawling your way centimeter by centimeter. You're trying to live for God. You're trying desperately to move forward in certain areas of your life. But it just feels like there's something that keeps pulling you back. And what if it's not all because of you? What if it's not all just because of your lack of discipline? What if, it's, what if it's something that began in your family, maybe not even with your parents, but generations ago that is still affecting you today? What if just like your DNA is passed down in your genetic code, like the color of your eyes, the texture of your hair, your height? What if sin and the consequences of sin are passed down too? Now, in Genesis chapter 34, we actually see... This, this verse that actually two weeks ago, we had a special week at our church. We closed out our summer series with a, a, with a very special Sunday. We always call it five by seven, where five in-house communicators communicate for seven minutes each. And we actually themed the entire day around Exodus chapter 34, one verse in verse six, where it says that the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh. So this is God talking. He says, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, what's so interesting about this verse is that it is the most quoted verse of the Bible in the Bible. And it's God describing himself. He says, this is my character. This is who I am. And he says that I am full of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and I'm filled with love and faithfulness. And then he goes on to say in verse 7. So we just focused on verse 6 two weeks ago. But verse 7, it actually says this. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I love that. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That's awesome. But, and then it quickly changes directions. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Anybody else read that 
and just instantly think of that Ron Burgundy meme that says, put it up there. Well, that escalated quickly. Just anybody, just that. Like God literally goes from lavishing love to a thousand generations to going all WWE on the grandkids in the same exact verse. And, and, and honestly, like I, I know I'm, just, I'm just trying to ease a little bit of tension. I know, I know this is hard. But like when, I, when I read stuff like that, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, well, like, wh- like, what is that about? What does that mean in that? Now, these verses actually show something that is clear throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis through Revelation. And it shows that God, remember, the whole context of verse 7 is verse 6. In verse 6, God says, here's who I am. This is my character. And so verse 7, it actually points to this truth that we see throughout the Bible. And that is, on one hand, God is loving. Like that, that, that's who he is. Like God just doesn't have love, he is love. And that he's loving, he's full of grace, he's full of mercy, he forgives. He is a loving God. But on the other hand, that God is just. That's who he is. He is holy. He's a God of justice. And that's who he is. That's his nature and that's his character. And some people believe that those two things contradict each other, but really they're just two different sides of the same exact coin. God is both. God is loving and God is just. And these verses say that part of his justice, that character side of God, that side of the coin is that the consequences of our sin affects more than just us. Is that I wish my sins just affected me. But the truth is, and you know it too, sometimes we sin and the effect is on other people. And this says this can even affect generationally. And some of you may be thinking, yeah, but that's OT. That is Old Testament, Pastor Brian. You're right. There is a new covenant through Jesus. But God's character has not changed. God is still loving and he's still just. That's why Malachi chapter three, verse six, God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Listen, his covenant has changed. We are in a brand new covenant, but his character has not changed. And there's still very real consequences to our sins that sometimes affects more than just us. Generational patterns are real. The second thing that I want you to see today, and this is good news is that the curse is broken, but the patterns can be repeated. Let me explain. See, this topic in different Christian circles is often called different things. And today I'm using the language generational patterns because I, I, I think that's one of the best ways to describe it, but I've also heard it called things like generational leans, generational iniquities, but the one that I see hands down the most is this term generational curses. And let me tell you why I personally don't use that language, because I personally don't believe that you are cursed. And here's why. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, in verse 13, it says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. 
So if, so if it's about you making sure that you're right and that you're perfect and that you can present yourself to God by yourself, then you're under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. But the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But, my favorite word in the Bible, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. It is written, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is is everyone who is hung on a tree. Here's what that means. That means if you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have received the free gift of grace, if you are a follower of Jesus, any and all curses have been broken. You are not cursed. Your family is not cursed. Your marriage is not cursed. Your business is not cursed. You are not cursed. But just because you are not cursed doesn't mean that the patterns can't be repeated. Why? Because sin that's been paid for, guys, still has consequences. So the curse can be broken. Thank God. It's why we worship today. But the patterns, we have to have our eyes open. They can still be repeated. Why? Because we are prone to repeat what we know. Because it's so easy to copy the patterns of the broken people that we have been exposed to. And maybe the only pattern that you ever saw growing up was broken and toxic, dysfunctional, unstable, irresponsible, Maybe what you grew up, the environment was full of fear and rejection, divorce, control, abuse, addiction, alcoholism, anger, perfectionism, immorality. And the truth is, it's still affecting you today. It's been 10, 20, 30 years since you've lived under that roof, but it still affects how you see the world and how you see God, how you treat people, and even what you struggle with today. Maybe you've even made inner vows to yourself saying, man, I will never be like them. I will never be like my dad. I will never be like my mom. I will never be like my grandpa. I will never be like that side of the family. But you find yourself repeating the same unhealthy patterns. If that's you, I want you to look me in the eyes and hear this truth. Yes, Your past has shaped your present. We cannot change that. I wish I could. I wish I had a message today that I could snap my fingers and then I could wipe all that away. But that's not reality. Your past has shaped your present. But look me in the eyes and smile because it doesn't have to determine your future. It doesn't. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do? How do we deal with these patterns, these generational patterns. I've gotta do this very fast. Let me give you four things very fast and then we're gonna respond. First, you have to become aware. You have to become aware. Everything starts with awareness because you can't change what you do not know. And one of the best ways, one of the best tools to help you become aware is to create what is known as a genogram, which is which is a way to map out your family history. 
And it's a, it really, it's an informative family tree that covers three to four generations. And I want you to know that we have a phenomenal genogram resource that's on our website right now that you can find at queencitypeople.com slash info. And you can go there and you can find it. You can click, you can print it out. You can do that. It is a resource for you. And I want to highly encourage you to take the time, maybe later today, maybe sometime this week, and take the time to be able to print that out. And it will, it's a great resource. It will walk you through exactly how to do it. Uh, literally, it is, it, anybody can do this. And it even gives you questions to help guide you into be successful in it. Questions that you can ask yourself but there's maybe some questions that you don't know the answers to. I know when I was doing it, there's a lot of questions I didn't know. And so what they encourage you to do is to also, if you don't know the answer, to go ask people in your family if they know the answer, to ask your parents, your grandparents, maybe an aunt or an uncle, so that you can become aware. But I do wanna warn you, doing this takes a lot of courage. It really does. It takes a lot of courage to ask those questions, um, to, to face some of the answers. But it also takes a whole lot of courage to push through some potential awkwardness that may be in asking those questions. But it's worth it so that you can become aware. It's gonna take a lot of courage for you to call up your grandmother and ask her, Mimi, did you ever fool around before Papa? Like that, that is, that's an awkward conversation for you to have. Uh, how many of you wanna have that conversation? No, if your hand is up right now, you need counseling, okay? You need counseling. Get in therapy right now. But please hear me, hear me, hear me. This is so important. Of everything that I'm saying today, everything that I'm saying today, listen, we don't go backwards to blame. We don't go backwards to blame and to point the finger. We don't go backwards to, to blame and to be a victim. We're not a victim. We're a victor in Jesus. So we don't go backwards to blame. Listen, we go backwards to learn. Immaturity blames. Maturity learns. So for us to change, we have to first become aware. Here's the second one. I got I to gotta go fast. Second, I want you to renounce and repent from what you find. I want you to renounce and repent from all unhealthy generational patterns. If there's healthy ones, keep them. But the unhealthy ones, repent from. Do what Abraham never did. Whatever you find, take it to God. And something like this, God, I renounce and repent from generational sin in my family history. I repent from all immorality, from divorce, from hate, from racism, from out of control temper, from always needing to be in control, from abuse, from addiction, from alcoholism. I renounce any and all hidden works of the enemy associated with those patterns and I shut the door on the enemy's influence in my life and in my family. And here's the key, in Jesus' name. Because that is the name that breaks the curse. That is the name, the Bible says that is above every single name, including every single generational pattern that's in your life. This is how I think about it. Because when I have thought about this and I've looked at my life, there are some unhealthy generational patterns that are in my life just like yours. I'm not exempt from this just because I'm a pastor. There are things that maybe I'll tell you one day that right now I don't feel like are appropriate for me to tell you. There are some things right now that I think to be honoring that I'm not gonna do it right now. I think a time will come where I can share those. But when I look at my genogram, when I look at my family tree, here's how I see it. There is a red line starting with me. 
It's starting with me, which represents the blood of Jesus that breaks all the unhealthy patterns above me and starts a new healthy pattern below me. Because when I think about my kids, I'm telling you, the patterns will stop with me. Patterns of addiction, patterns of immorality, patterns of divorce, they stop with me. So I want you, if you find something, if, if the Holy Spirit reveals something, renounce and repent. Third, I want you to talk to someone. So important, talk to someone about what you find, about what the Holy Spirit reveals. It's so important to let others in and talk to them about what you learn because you can't deal with this stuff by yourself. So talk to a friend, a mentor, a pastor, your team leader, a group leader, a professional counselor. If you need help finding a good Christian, spirit-filled counselor, let us know. Our team has worked really hard to find people in the area that are great at that. We believe in it so much. Our entire, pretty much our entire leadership team is in counseling. That's who's leading you, okay? But talk to someone. Why? Because you were never designed to go through this process or really anything in your life by yourself. It's why we say we refuse to live life alone. Number four, here's the last one, and then we're gonna respond. This is important. After you do all those things, trust God with the pace. Trust God with the pace of your freedom. Because I've learned sometimes freedom happens in a moment. And I hope you experience that. I hope that the, you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and you experience freedom in a moment. But sometimes it happens in a process. And you have to be okay with both. Here's why. Because you cannot control. You cannot control the pace. But you can control trusting God with the pace. And trust me, as somebody who has wanted it to be faster than it's come at times, sometimes I wish my freedom that I've experienced came way faster. Trust me, whether your freedom happens in a moment or whether it happens in a process, it's worth it. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City People or visit queencitypeople.com.